Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, check out our website at freechapel.org. I want to teach you today some keys to living the right life. You can live the right life, the blessed life. You can live a life in such, you can live this life in such a way that you attract the favor of God, that you attract the blessings of God. You say, well, I just don't feel that way now because of what I'm going through. But God can give you keys today through this message that can change your situation. Even if the circumstances don't change, you can change on the inside. And you can live the right life that God has for you, which is a life of victory no matter what you're going through. And so today I want to talk to you about the keys to living the right life. And I want to give you some little points today that God has put on my heart. And I want you to write them down. If you take notes, write them down or, you know, put them in your phone. But don't just hear the message today, but let's live the message all week long. The first way that you live the right life The first thing that you must do is get the right atmosphere, the right climate, the right atmosphere. You say, well, what is the right atmosphere? The right atmosphere in a word is praise. Praise is the atmosphere that changes everything. That when you begin to praise the Lord, it changes the climate or the atmosphere of your life from one of fear and worry to one of victory because you understand that if I praise my way through, God will come. When I think about praise, I think about how that, have you ever noticed that when, when emotions begin to manifest through somebody, let's say the emotion of anger, the emotion of depression, the emotion of of, uh, of, uh, of anger or stress or have you ever walked into a room where people were arguing and even though they stopped talking before you got there, you could tell when you walked in the room it was tense? Have you ever walked into a room and you could tell your kids were doing something they weren't supposed to be doing? Even There was an atmosphere to that emotion, right? Of guilt. There was an atmosphere. That's why praise is so important. Praise changes the atmosphere of our life because what we are is projected into our atmosphere. And when you want to attract God's blessing and God's favor, you've got to create the right atmosphere. There's an amazing story in the Old Testament about King Saul who would be clinically, um, he would be clinically today called, I guess, manic, manic depressive. He, he was very depressed, so much so that the Bible said that he was oppressed. And when he would be covered up in this depression, buried in this depression, when it would just come on him, the Bible said evil spirits would torment him. He did something strange. Your Bible said that he called for David to bring his harp into the palace and start playing the harp and singing songs from the book of Psalms that praised and magnified the God of Israel. And as 
David would play the harp, the atmosphere of the palace would change from depression. The depression would leave, the evil spirits would exit, and suddenly the atmosphere would change. And the Bible said the spirits left, the depression left. He understood something. David and Saul understood if you want to get out of fear, if you want to get out of worry, if, you've got, if you want to get out of depression, you've got to get the right atmosphere and the right atmosphere is praise. The key to it is praise. I want to ask you a question. What's the atmosphere of your life? The atmosphere of your life is determined by the people all around you. Are they negative or are they positive? The atmosphere of your life is determined by what your ears listening are listening to. Do you listen to bad news all day? Do you listen to bad things all day? Or do you ever have music in your car that glorifies Jesus and puts you in the presence of God? What's the atmosphere of your life? The atmosphere of your life is the words that you speak every day. Your words determine the atmosphere of your life. And if you don't understand that and you're around words that are negative and people that are negative and you just have all the world's negativity coming into your life and you don't ever try to change the atmosphere, it's a matter of time before it starts pulling you down. That's why the Bible said in Isaiah 61 to do two things. It said, Take off the spirit of heaviness and put on the garment of praise. You have a choice this morning. You can sit there and be heavy with your problems and your troubles and, your, and the things you're going through. Or you can take off the spirit of heaviness and you can put on the garment of praise. You see, David said in Psalms 34, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. My soul will make boast, her boast in the Lord. In other words, David is saying, that means you got to change the focus. If you're constantly obsessed with your own hurts, if you're constantly wallowing in self-pity, if you're constantly just getting into the details of everything you're going through and been through, you're focusing on self. And David said, I'm changing the focus. And he said, listen to these words. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge. And when you start changing the atmosphere, when you start changing the focus, when you don't just remove the depression and remove the, the heaviness, but you replace it with the garment of praise, then suddenly things change in Psalms 34 and verse five is so powerful. He said, when I change the atmosphere, notice what happened. This God delivered me from all my fears. Isn't that a powerful verse? This God delivered me from all my fears. Everybody say that. And he delivered me from all my fears. When you praise the Lord, you change the atmosphere. And instead of fear and worry and depression dominating your life, you get the right atmosphere and suddenly good things start happening. Right things start happening. You say, I'm still not convinced. Then read Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas were in a much more depressing situation than you've ever been in. They were in a filthy Philippian prison. Their hands were in stocks. Their 
feet were in chains. They were bound. They had been beaten. Their backs were lacerated. They had blood pouring from their body. And it was midnight. And at midnight, they began to sing praises unto God. They said, well, we can't get out, but what we can do is change the situation we're in by changing the atmosphere. And when they started praising the Lord up in heaven, it's my sermon, I can preach it like I want to, but up in heaven, God starts hearing their singing above every other sound of praise in heaven. And he tells the angels to be quiet and he tells Gabriel to be quiet. And he says, do you hear that? And he says, what is it, Lord? I hear singing. And Gabriel says, but Lord, there's all kinds of singing all the time, but this is different. They're singing in the midst of pain. They're singing in the midst of problems. That's two of my children. And God leans over and he can so hear them praising that he begins to tap his toe. And when God taps his toe, you get earthquakes. And suddenly the prison doors were open, the shackles fell out, and hell's strategy became confused because one man with his partner said, let's praise the Lord and change the atmosphere of our lives. I dare you today, if the enemy's been harassing you, to just say, I'm going to change the atmosphere. I believe my praise, the antidote to worry is worship. The antidote to panic is praise the Lord. I'm not going to have a panic attack. I'm going to have a praise break. Somebody lift up your hands and praise the Lord. At every campus, you need to make some noise because he's worthy. It changes the atmosphere. You know, I like that verse where David says, seven times a day, the name of the Lord will be praised. That's where, that, that's where I got that whole idea from. He took praise breaks. We take coffee breaks. Some of you take cigarette breaks. Other people take tea breaks in London. But, but David, he said, I'll take praise breaks at least seven times a day. And I'll keep the atmosphere in a, in a way around me that I walk in victory no matter what I'm going through. Hallelujah. The second thing you got to get right if you want to live right is you got to get the right energy source. If you're fighting the flesh and the power of the flesh, you're fighting against yourself. In other words, if you've got some struggles in your life and you're trying to fight them in the flesh, I'm going to try harder, I'm going to try harder, you are fighting against your own flesh. Guess what? You're going to lose. If all you're doing is using flesh against flesh. What's a Christian's energy source? It's called the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to go even deeper this morning because God didn't put you in this church to be like every other church. If God has you in this church, it's because he wants you to go deeper. And our energy source as believers goes all the way back to the book of Acts chapter 2. When the Holy Spirit was poured out in the upper room and they were filled with the Holy Ghost and they began to speak in other tongues and pray in the Spirit, they were connecting to the right energy source. In other words, 
It's not by might. It's not by power. It's not by human effort and flesh fighting flesh. But when I'm filled with the Holy Spirit and specifically when I begin to pray in the heavenly language, in the unknown tongue that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 12, it causes refreshing and strength. The book of Jude put it this way. It said, you build yourself up in your faith, praying in the Holy Ghost praying in the spirit. Paul said, Paul said, I thank God that I speak in tongues or pray in the spirit more than you all. He said, it needs to be done decently. It needs to be done in the right place, in the right setting. You don't get up and exercise that gift. But I'm telling you, every day of my life, I know where my energy source is. I pray in that heavenly language and there is nothing like the power of the Holy Spirit. Whenever you're praying in a heavenly language, you are praying in harmony with God. You say, well, I've not experienced that. Ask for it, seek it. You need the right energy source. If you're going to be strong and passionate and stay on fire, you got to learn how to pray in the spirit. And, you, and in order to do that, you got to be filled with the spirit. And everybody who's experienced it, shout amen. I'm telling you today that there are many things that are happening in life that you don't have the answer to, but Romans said, Paul said in the book of Romans, the eighth chapter, that when we don't know how to pray, when we don't know what we ought to pray, the Spirit Himself makes intercession through us with groanings and utterances. The Bible said in Isaiah, with an unknown tongue and stammering lips, I will speak, and this shall be a refreshing to my people. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14 that he that speaks in an unknown tongue does not speak to, to men, he speaks directly to God. And men don't understand what you're saying when you pray in the Spirit, but you are speaking God and, and, and you're speaking directly to God. In other words, here's what I want you to see. The Spirit knows the will of the Father. The Spirit knows right now and the Holy Spirit has a mind to think and he has a voice to speak. And when you allow his spirit to flow through you and pray, you bypass man's plans and you get in one accord with God's plan. It's a code the devil cannot break. The way that we defeated the Japanese in World War II was we brought in Navajo Indians from the reservation and the Japanese were intercepting our messages and they knew what we were doing because they had been trained in some of our universities back then to speak English. Therefore, they knew and could interpret and knew everything we were doing. So what our army did, our generals did, is they went, this is a, this is a fact, to a Navajo reservation. They got what they called code talkers and some called them wind talkers. And they said, you give, you t call each other up and order the troops to do stuff in this language that is only known on the Navajo reservation. Can you imagine the confusion 
when they thought that they knew that they could figure out everything they were going to do, but suddenly through the walkie-talkies, they're hearing messages being relayed that they cannot discern. When we began to pray in the Holy Spirit, we began to confuse the strategies and principalities and powers that are doing everything they can. And I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm here to tell you that there's more to church than dead, dry religion. There's more to walking with God than just coming to church on Sunday and hearing another talk. At some point, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and fire. If you believe it, say amen. That's your energy source. Hallelujah. You got to have the right atmosphere. What is it? Three people in Gainesville were listening. You got to have the right atmosphere. What is it? You got to have the right energy source. What is it? The Holy Spirit. You got to have the right information. You cannot listen to garbage and see a rose garden. In other words, what you take in determines what you see. If you get bad information, frightening information, you'll see a world of fear and hopelessness. That's why you have to get the right information. You have to go to this book and you have to get what God says about you, what God says about your situation. Don't just take in the bad news. It may be real, but then combat it with the right information. That's why Jeremiah 15 and verse 16 says, your words were found and I did eat them. He said, I'm telling you, I had to get the right stuff in me in order to be what God called me to be. What does the Lord say about your situation? There's a remarkable story about Gideon. When the Midianites took over Israel and they took the nation captive, the Bible said that Gideon was living in a cave. It's a cave of fear. He was feeling like a loser. But God walks into that cave through an angel. And the angel said, you are a mighty man of valor. Talk about getting the right information. He's scared. He's a wimp. He doesn't feel like a winner. He feels like a wimp. And he's sitting in a cave, afraid, shaking in his own boots. And suddenly God walks in with the right information and says, you are a mighty man of valor. And Gideon says, who, me? I'm from the smallest tribe. I'm poor, I don't have nothing, I'm scared, I'm in this cave. But notice the key to this thing is the Spirit's way to victory in your life is to give you a picture, not of where you are, but of where you shall be through His promise. God doesn't call you like you are. He calls you like you're going to be. He doesn't announce just where you are today. He simply declares where you're going to be tomorrow by his strength. Instantly, Gideon manifest his inferiority and God said, I don't care what family you came from. I don't care what you don't have. I'm telling you, I'm giving you new information. And the Spirit's way to win victories is to give you a picture of yourself, not as you see yourself, but as God sees you. You got to get the right information. Then you got to get in the right location. 1 Kings 17, there was, an Israel, there was a famine in Israel. And God said, go to the brook. I'll cause the ravens to feed you. 
Elijah. And God caused the birds to feed him. The brook went dry. And God said, go to Zarephath. I'll cause a widow woman there to feed you. But you got to go there where I tell you. You've got to be in the right location. You've got to get to the right place. You've got to be where, if God says go there and you stay where you are, the blessing goes on and you stay there by yourself wondering why it's not working anymore. When God says it's time to move and you stay, the blessing moves on. God will dry up your brook to take you back to your source. I want you to understand that God will change the system that has worked sometimes just to get you back to your real source, which is not that system. It's God. God is your source. You can't have the, and just work the laws of the kingdom without a relationship with the king. And every once in a while, we just get the kingdom system working in our life and we forget about the king. And every once in a while, God dries up the brook and he says, I'm going to get you back on your knees and realize it's not the system that's working. It's not even tithing that's just blessing you. It's the relationship with the king that really makes all of that stuff work for you. And some of you, if you, God loves you so much that he'll dry up your brook to get you back to him. God told Elisha, if you want a double portion, Elijah said, you want a double portion to Elisha? And Elisha said, I sure do. He said, if you're with me where I am, when I'm caught up in a fiery chariot, you'll get the double portion. In other words, you got to be in the right location. The Bible said that Elisha did something amazing. He broke the plow. He broke the plow. The plow represented the successes, the system by which he had fed his family, the security, everything that he had made his living by. And God said, I want you to break the plow. I don't want you to depend on what you've been depending on. Where I'm taking you, I'm doing a new thing and you can't be having plan B to go back to. I want you to break the plow. Sometimes denominations are the old plow. Sometimes the way you were raised is the old plow. Some of you aren't really open to anything new in God because that's your old plow. And you've had that plow and you're as dry as you can be. But sometimes a double portion is waiting on you on the other side of just breaking the old plow and saying, God, I'm ready for a new thing. I'm ready for you to change my spiritual location. We hold with tenacity to the old plows. But Israel was told, follow the cloud. And when the cloud moves, you move. But you got to be in the right location. In, in Exodus 33 and 2, God said, there is a place by me. Come and stand in it. Are you in spiritually the right location? Are you leaning on an old plow, afraid to let go? A double portion begins with the breaking of an old plow. I believe sometimes that we just hold on to things that God says, I want to do something new. I want to do something different. But we just cling to those old plows. If you're in a church where God is moving, don't leave it. If you're not, don't stay there. Get in one where God moves you, where God challenges you, where you're constantly feeling like if you're comfortable, you're being afflicted. Amen. 
And, and, and if you're afflicted, you're being comforted. But that's the goal of this church, to afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. Turn to somebody, I don't know which one you are, but you're one of the two and you're in the right place. Hallelujah. There is a right location. Can I give you another one? Not only that, but you gotta have the right people. You gotta have the right people in your life. I wrote a whole book on it, I believe it so much. You gotta have the right people. Well, who are the right people? People who will be honest. People, people who are honest with you are a gift from God and you resent them. <laughs> but I'm telling you one of the greatest gifts is when people just tell you the truth. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of somebody who cares. In other words, they're going to keep coming at you trying to make you better. Everybody who comes into your life has a spirit. And here's the thing, spirits seek out spirits. So if you have certain problems, people with similar spirits seek, they feel your spirit and they find you. Birds of a feather flock together. And you think you feel better because you're going through the same things and you got the same weaknesses and the same tendencies and, the, and, and, and you know where both of y'all will end up. If just the right circumstances present themselves, you just multiplied your problems by two, even though it feels like better that you're not alone. Well, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say you need people. The right people are people who are strong in areas that you're weak. You need people. You need people. If you've got a weak marriage, you don't need to hang out with other couples that got a weak marriage and y'all kind of winking and, 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 and playing with each other under the table. You need somebody with a strong marriage that'll get in your face and say, hey, your attitude is wrong. Hey, you're not doing right. Hey, you need people who are strong. If you, if, don't, don't call your old buddies once you, once you get saved and go right back to those same people. Get around some people who are strong in the Lord because if you get around the right people, good things start happening. One of the first signs of spiritual failure is when someone begins to isolate themselves from the people of God and the house of God. It's just how it is. You gotta have the right atmosphere. You gotta have the right energy source. He is the Holy Spirit. You gotta have the right information. It is the Word. You gotta have the right location. You gotta have the right people. I'm gonna give you two more. You gotta have the right focus. The right focus is a game changer. The right focus is what Job got in Job chapter 42 and verse 10. He's going through a trial. He's going through loss and pain and sorrow. And it says that Job prayed for his friends. He got the focus off of his own pain, off of his own challenges, and he started focusing on others. And when he prayed, looks like he just, it just said he prayed for himself because they weren't good friends. They were not, weren't is not a word, by the way. That's from North Carolina. They were not good friends. <laughs> Y'all lighten up a little bit. I'm, they're laughing in Beaufort and laughing in Gwinnett. Hallelujah. When you get the right focus, isn't that the truth? When you start focusing on other people's needs, 
Think of that woman, that widow woman in the famine. God sent a man with a need to a woman with a seed. And she had to make a choice. Do I focus on me and my boy and my needs? Or do I focus on others? And she came to the conclusion that what I hold in my hand and keep in my hand, it shrinks. But what I put in God's hands multiplies. And she took her last meal and instead of consuming it on herself and her child, in the famine, she gives it to the prophet. And suddenly, God says, I'm going to multiply what you've done for others back into your life. And for three and a half years, the bread multiplied daily, every day for three and a half years because her focus was right. She got the focus on others. General Booth, the founder of Salvation Army, the Salvation Army, was asked to give a speech at a, at a prestigious uh, university graduation. Many famous and, and well-educated people were there. And they'd come and all the parents and all the graduates. And they were ready to hear this powerful speech from a man who had done so much good, the Salvation Army. And he got up, cleared his voice, and said one word, others. Turned around and sat down. And that was the end of his speech to those graduates. What a message. Others. It's not about you. It's not about, even if you're going through a trial, it's just not about you. Get the right focus. What's the right focus? Others. But, 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 but when God fixes my problems, others. Others. I think of people in this ministry. I think of, of, of Cindy and her husband who goes to the prison ministry every Sunday and the amazing teams of, uh, at, at all of our campuses that go to the prisons. And, you know, we just win thousands of prisoners. We're having more and more people who are being blessed and saved in prison and showing up in our campuses. And it's beautiful and it's wonderful. But I've seen Cindy and her husband as they've gone through things, sometimes sickness, sometimes setbacks, sometimes things with their family. But she never allows it. They never allow it to break their focus on others. And they'll go do those prison ministries every Sunday afternoon and in the other times that they do them. And they minister to others. And, you know, they always land on their feet. When you get the right focus. And then lastly... The right timing. The right timing. The Bible said in, in Ecclesiastes 3 and 1 that for every purpose there is a season. There is a season. That means that you can't get purpose until it's the right time. We want to hurry it up. We want to make it happen. But God's promises always have a time frame on them. Now I want to give you something that you've never heard maybe. In the United States, in the late 1800s, there was no single standard for timekeeping. You could tell the approximate time only by looking at the position of the sun. Can you imagine living in a world like that? And so people had been doing the same for many millennia. Just look at the sun. If it's right directly over top of me, it's time to eat some lunch. And when the sun comes up, it's, it's morning. And when the sun goes down, it's night. And most cities, as they begin to build cities all over the United States, begin to display a clock on the steeple of the church 
and they would put the approximate time and it could vary from city to city, 20 to 30 minutes. <laughs> they were just guessing what time it was. Some were off by as much as 20 to 25 minutes up to 30. But then the railways operated independently on their own timetables. They became so concerned about trains running into each other, they made up their own time. And in every city, they made the railroad run on an opposite time, no matter what the clock said in that city. It was time for the train was going to arrive on train time. Say amen. amen. The heads of each major railroad worked together to solve the problem until on November the 18th, 1883, they established by law the standard time system which divided the United States and Canada into five time zones. This was a win for the railroads. But unfortunately, a lot of the people in the cities didn't like the, the new time that the, the Congress had said, this is the time it, it is. But they didn't like that. And they said, we're going to keep our own time. Sounds like some hard-headed people I know. How about you? And we don't care what you say. We don't want your time. We want our time. And so they stayed on their time. Some cities refused to switch. Arguments erupted. Whole towns were split. 35 years later, the standard time system was enacted into legislation for the entire uh, country. And everyone had no choice but to abide by the right time. My point is this, we need to know what time it is on God's clock. Because a lot of times we're saying, it's, here's my little clock and here's my time. And, and, but we need to get in sync with God's time. God's time is not my time. Most of the things that we've done, I wouldn't have done in the time that I, because it didn't seem like it was in sync with my time. But God's time is different from your time. And we need to be on time with God's clock. You got to get the right time. And some of you keep saying, one day I'm going to give my heart to the Lord. One day I'm going to sell out to God. One day. But God's saying, today's that day. This is the right time. And if you want to be blessed and if you want the favor of God, get the right people. Get the right atmosphere. Get the right energy source. Get the right information. Get the right focus. And get the right timing. And there's no time like right now. This is the day the Lord has made and I'm not going to hope it gets better. I'm going to make it better. I'm going to get in line for a better life, for the right life that God has for me. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were blessed.